Okay, I'm recording. I too am recording, and here we go. to another big episode of the Brothers Trek About. As always, my name is Matt, coming to you from Austin, and from the east side of Texas in Houston is my brother Ken. Say hello, Ken. Peace and long life. Well, this week we're going to be talking about uh, Discovery episode number nine, Into the Forest I Go. Oh boy, oh boy, what a forest they run into too. What a crazy episode we got to uh, do at the mid-season finale. I thought that there was going to be a longer break in between, but they're coming right back on January 7th. Isn't that weird? So, uh, yeah, I guess this is, it's more like a holiday break. That's the way my brother was describing it before we started recording. It's like, uh, you know, just like any other show that's going to like, well, people aren't going to be watching anyway, so let's just go on for it, which is true. Let's be honest. You know, with Christmas and New Year's and uh, Thanksgiving even coming up uh, just uh, unbelievably next week, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. There's not going to be any time for any podcasting or any uh, discovery watching then. So we might as well uh, knock it out now, take a break, and uh, hit it again January 7th. Sounds perfect to me, don't you think? Yep. Uh, During the little hiatus they're going to have, we are not going on hiatus, of course. We've got a whole backlog of original series episodes that we wanted to hit hit you with. Uh, In fact, that's where the whole recap thing came from, because back then I was figuring, you know... uh, People have probably seen these original series episodes three, four times. So if we recap them for them, remind them what happens while also discussing the uh, important events and important issues of the uh, episode, then then that people don't actually have to go back and rewatch every episode. They can just have fun and listen to us uh, talk and have fun about every episode of the original series. So believe it or not, we're going to be starting that next week with the original pilot episode the cage for everyone to listen to so that'll be fun uh going after that uh, to where no man has gone before and from everything else thereafter until january 7th or for us january 9th when uh, we'll be coming back to discovery so that is pretty exciting <clears throat> true That's right. Right, which is probably brand spanking new at this point. Captain April. Yep. So uh, the only other uh, main character, the only main actor that we haven't talked about yet uh, in the first half of this series is uh, Mary Wiseman, who plays uh, Sylvia Tilly. Did you know her first name was Sylvia? Yeah, because she's credited that way. <laughs> I don't know. I never saw it. I, I like looked at it when I was on IMDb and was like, Sylvia? I didn't know her name was Sylvia. But it seems appropriate, I think. So uh, she was on the cult show Longmire for four uh, short episodes and on Zach Galifianakis' uh, show Baskets for only two episodes this past season. 
So this is kind of her first real like big deal. She graduated from Boston University and then went to uh, Juilliard's Drama School as well. Uh, at 32, she is definitely at the beginning of what looks like it's going to be a really fun career for her. Also the same age as uh, Sonequa Martin-Green, I might add. Also 32. So there we go. That was it. That fills in that whole cast like that. We'll see if we got any more to even t any more actors even worth talking about when we get into the next half season. Well, we, we got see. producers and directors and writers. <laughs> also true. Also true. I think Jay Frakes is going to be doing uh, one of the episodes in the next half season, so uh -huh. that'll be exciting. So uh, with that out of the way, as always, folks, let's get to it. Captain's log. Starting. It's five-year mission. So in this one, in our previously on, we got uh, the Spore Drive, right? We got Stamets' problems. We got Laurel. We got the Admiral, who we forgot might be dying or dead. We don't know. We got uh, the Cloaking Fleet to remind us of. We got Pavo, which happened in the last episode. And, of course, that signal that was sent to the Klingons. Uh, and, of course, the uh, Discovery's job of protecting Pavo. So as we open up, we got Laura, uh, Lorca. And the, uh, the Vulcan, now, I'm not sure who this guy is. He's an admiral of some kind, I think. Yeah. I, think, I guess so, and they are... I think Go part ahead. of what we're doing here with this guy and some other stuff is we're putting the Vulcans front and center as a uh -huh. key part of the Federation. You know, in the original series, you get Spock, and then we meet Sarek, and that's pretty much it for Vulcans. Yeah. And here, you know, we still have Sarek. We have the important role that the Vulcans play in the background of Michael Burnham. But we've also had kind of Vulcans walking around as just a normal part of Starfleet. We have this admiral. You know, they show up on a regular basis. It's not, here's our one token Vulcan. Yeah, definitely expanding the universe more. So anyway, uh, Lorca and this uh, Vulcan admiral are arguing over their next course of action. Basically, it comes down to do they protect Pavo or risk losing, obviously, the most important ship in the fleet, the Discovery? Do we allow the Pavans to die or do we d return, as the Vulcan admiral says, as logic dictates? Lorca pretends they're going to follow orders and they decide to warp their way back to the starbase. However, he's really only done this as to uh, give themselves three hours to figure out the best way to uh, find when a Klingon ship is cloaked and where that ship might actually be. The crew hops to it, trying to discover that information. Lorca then tells Stamets to head to sick base and have every battery of tests ran on him. Stamets, at this point, looks a little unsure about doing this thing. Yep. As we ride into the opening credits. So here's a dumb thing I noticed. Uh, I notice this every time, though, so that's why it's worth mentioning, is, is that uh, where the commercial breaks hit in every episode is pretty different. You know, you can, uh, if the show were on TV, we'd be finding that commercial break somewhere around, uh, you know, the, like, five-minute mark, the 15-minute mark, the half-hour mark, the 45-hour mark, and then the, you know, going into credits break. But uh, they've been kind of all over the place these last few episodes. Uh, I think in the... In, in the uh, the mud episode that we had a, a couple of weeks ago, 
the the first act break the first commercial break didn't even hit until like the 25 minute mark or something crazy like that but in this episode all of them are about evenly spaced apart so uh except for the, the very final one which may be five minutes on the other side of of it but uh all those commercial breaks are spaced out anyway back to it we get uh, we come back to a bunch of techno mumbo jumbo uh talking about how they can possibly find the cloak ship. And they decide that they need to uh, put some sensors on board the Klingon ship so that while it is cloaked, they can find it. So they decide a landing party is the only way to do this. However, it's going to take them four days to, to process all the information from the ship. But Lorca has a plan for the spore drive. He goes down to sickbay where we find that there's been... Uh, Significant damage to Stamets' brain. Well, I don't know if it's Doctor damage not- or just alteration. After all, he took that, you know, that uh, genetic material from that that uh, creature from earlier in the season. From the, yeah, the tardigrade. Right. And I, in, you know, it could be that the use of this device is developing some tardigrade alterations. So I don't know whether we call it damage or whether we call it, uh, you know, adaptation to what he's doing but clearly he's he's not himself Lorca basically he doesn't really order the doctor to allow Stamets to leave but he doesn't I think the doctor sort of unwillingly lets Stamets go yeah of course we also have the double situation going on here of the fact that they are lovers so that it uh it adds that extra layer of is he being too protective Right. If this were any other crewman, would he would he fight as hard, or should he is should he fight harder? It's an interesting question, definitely. Uh, in Lorca's ready room, uh, Lorca wants Stamets to make 133 micro jumps all around where the clo- about where the cloak ship would be, and that'll help speed up the data received from the uh, from these uh, the sensors that are put on the ship. Samus tries to deflect, saying that uh, there's got to be another way. Lorca responds with, I wish I didn't have to make to ask you to make this sacrifice, but the Klingons won't stop until they've discovered everything in their path. Or destroyed everything in their path. So I'm all about discovery, apparently. Destroyed everything in their path. Everything, he says. Lorca sort of plays on Stamets' ego here. He says, uh, you're, you're an explorer. If not, you would have stayed in a lab somewhere. But... Apparently, what we find out is that he's stolen information from the micro jumps that they had done, and it shows Stamets the p- potential to discover places where no one has gone before. And this is where Stamets decides to do the 133 jumps. Yes, yeah, so he had a nice kind of carrot and stick approach here. Uh-huh. On the one hand, we got to stop the Klingon. On the other hand, look at all these new discoveries that we're making. I've been keeping this data. I'm a collector. Take a look. Wouldn't you you like to flesh out some of this additional data by taking some more reading? Exactly. And not only that, but wouldn't you want to go to these places, it seems like he was offering, too. Yeah. Uh, Also, it was interesting, because in that map of stuff, uh, Stamets also mentions alternate universes, or parallel universes. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. still our speculation that uh, we might see the the, uh, alternate universe... The Empire <laughs> in the Star... Uh, star. See, I mentioned the Empire, and now I'm confused. Uh, that, we can see the uh, <laughs> the Empire in Star Trek is still possible. 
So uh, Lorca makes his way back to the, the bridge and orders Tyler to uh, put an away team together. Tyler asks for Burnham, but Lo- uh, Lorca denies it. Uh, he says uh, that she's too valuable an asset to uh, lose on this uh, thing. And admittedly, she is wanted badly by the Klingons. So it's probably a good reason to keep her off the ship. But Burnham basically uh, convinces him, uh, saying that she's on borrowed time and that there's no other person more qualified uh, to go on this mission for that reason. In engineering, Hugh shows up with some uh, precautions for Stamets. Uh, Tilly says, oh, thank God you finally told him about the side effects. To which Hugh goes, "Uh, what side effects? Stamets gives Tilly a dirty look. But Hugh's already uh, in work mode, uh, putting him on a cuff that says that it'll be, he'll, uh, with that cuff, he'll be able to treat uh, Stamets in the uh, spore drive room. Lorca gives this really nice speech at this point about how the discovery has gone from being a bunch of wimpy scientists to a bunch of fierce warriors. And now is the time for all their work to come together. Then the alert comes that the Klingon ship has arrived at Pavo. The discovery pulls pulls its black alert, and the spore drive takes him to Pavo as we go to commercial. Now, if you notice here, they go to spore jumps in the middle of warp. So they can just jump out of warp and do a spore jump. I did not know they could do that. So we're back at it, and we're with the Klingons. Uh... Cole realizes that uh, it's the discovery that has been uh, sent to Pavo, and he calls the Federation's fools for leaving them here undefended. The ship uncloaks, and as it does, the away team beams aboard. The battle outside has begun. Inside the ship, Tyler and Burnham sneak their way, sneak their way through with phasers always at the ready. Burnham then detects a human life sign aboard. Tyler says, no, we can't deviate from our mission at this time. But Burnham, always headstrong, decides to do so anyway. Tyler breaks into the cell, and we find out this is where the Admiral is being kept. <gasps> but so is Laurel. Laurel is there, too. Tyler starts definitely going through some PTSD and shoots Laurel. <laughs> Tyler slumps up against the wall next to, uh, next to the Admiral. Admiral Cornwall tells Burnham that Tyler is now in shock. He's useless to her. Burnham decides that she must make it to the bridge on her own. Outside, the battle rages on. But not so much a battle as Lorca is just buying time for the away team. He's not fighting so much as evading. Burnham makes her way to the bridge and puts up the second sensor. Lorca turns the ship around and advances the fight. This is just so that, the, uh, of course, the Klingons will uh, go into cloak. Now, using the spore drive, Lorca drops torpedoes, uh, spores out of there, then lands again, throws some more torpedoes, spore jumps out of there, lands again. Cole finally cloaks the ship. Right on schedule, says Lorca, and the sensors start beaming the information over. Discovery starts its process of 133 spore, uh, spore jumps, but not before Stamets tells Hugh, I love you. The jumps continue. Stamets is looking worse and worse as time goes on. His uh, heart rate starts building. Back in the Klingon ship, the Admiral is trying to pull Tyler out of, the, out of his shock. Back on Discovery, Hugh tries to get Lorca to call it off. But Lorca tells, do whatever you can to keep that man alive. Jump 65 takes us to 
commercial. As it was, I only got one commercial here, so that was actually nice. Only had to watch one. Then we are back at it! On the ship of death, we hear about signs of possible sabotage. They think they think it's Laurel, and they start searching the ship for her. But this makes Bird no Mancy. And more so even as she overhears Cole trying to jump out of the system. He suspects a ruse and doesn't want to get caught in it. Burnham, seeing no other option, fires on the navigator. I mean, she can only hope it was the navigator. I don't know if she knows how the Klingon ship's built. She kills one guy, one guy <laughs> and uh, it seemed like it was close enough. And she ends up using the universal translator to talk to Cole. She eventually calls Cole out and his honor. Where is your honor in taking a ship that doesn't belong to you? How do you know this? Says the Klingon. I'm the one who killed Takuvma, she says. Back in the cell, Tyler and the Admiral are about to be visited by a search party. The Admiral keeps trying to pull Tyler out of the shock that he's in. And she finally does, as he takes out the other Klingon with a super powerful weapon. Like, it was a Klingon weapon that, like, totally disintegrated her. Like, the phasers we saw were just sort of, like, pew, pew, and, like, glancing off of the Klingons. But this one, like, totally disintegrated the other Klingon. Some kind of different technology level going on there. The pissing contest between Burnham and uh, Cole continues on the bridge. Burnham finally challenging Cole to a hand-to-hand fight. He throws her a sword, and it begins. Cole knocks her down pretty quickly. That's right. But we got to remember that Burnham's objective here is to buy time, right? It's not to necessarily win. Back on the discovery, the spore jumps finally end. 133 jumps have finished. Five more minutes the computer needs to finish its final analysis. Lorca is confused by the fact that they're not uh, firing. And he wants Burnham and Tyler back now. Cut to Tyler and Cole still fighting. The battle rages on with blades until Cole, until Cole finally has Burnham in a chokehold. Her death, he says, will make him the ruler of the, King Ingla, the Klingon Empire. But as soon as he throws her down, she comes up kicking and the battle, the battle, and the battle continues. The algorithm, meantime, uh, at this point, is finished, and the transporter starts to beam Admiral and Tyler back aboard. But at the last minute, Laurel jumps on Tyler's back and rides him aboard to Discovery. Back on the bridge of the sarcophagus ship, the skirmish presses on. Cole thinks victory is at hand, but luckily, in English, the Discovery tells, tells Burnham that it is time to beam aboard, which they do as she jumps from the second story of the Klingon Bridge. Now, do you notice this? Is that they have those rings around their neck that apparently are for transporting. That's a, a different technology than we have seen in the past. For instance, even in Next Generation, right, they're wearing the comm badges, and that's what they uh, seem to uh, beam everyone mm-hmm. aboard from was the comm badges as opposed to these little ring around their necks. Back on the bridge of the Discovery, Lorca is informed of his new passengers, and he thence to begin to fire on the death ship. Boom, 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 until it is quickly and definitively destroyed. Saru and Burnham exchange a glance, and then she looks at Giorgio's badge, and then looks behind her as we go to commercial. That never turned out to be anything. I thought we were going to come back and somebody was going to be on the bridge, but that's not what happened. I, th- I think she's looking for Ash. Oh, could be. Could be. 
because they came out of the turbo lift together, and that's where he was standing, and she turns, and he's gone. Ah, got it. Where did he go? I missed that. Uh, also, uh, the Klingon ship blew up, so it's time to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back to it. We find the Admiral's emergency medical transport has arrived at the Starbase OK. The al- algorithm, too, will be usable against other Klingon ships, but the war is not over. And the Vulcan seemed to be, but the Vulcan seemed to feel like it's leaning back into Starfleet's favor. They're asked to report back to Starbase Forty Six, where Lorca will receive the Legion of Honor. How nice! We still have to wonder whether or not Lorca will lose his command. Probably not. Now that he's won a uh, Legion of Honor award, but we still don't know. A major award. A major award. <laughs> and what about Burnham? And it's weird, too, because at this point, it feels like the show's wrapping up. But there's still 14 minutes left right. of the show. Burnham goes to visit Tyler. She tells him to be proud of their accomplishments, but he says that only she should. She's the one who did most of the work. Burnham then asks about Laurel and who she was. He tells her he was a prisoner for 227 days and that he made a choice to survive by pretending to enjoy Laurel's attention. He says it was all worth it, though, to be alive and to be with you, Burnham. Is that silly? And she says, no, I'm glad you're here, too. And they kiss. Their bond now stronger. Uh, I thought that this was a great scene. I thought that, that it was very well acted, and it does so much for character. Obviously, a lot more for Tyler. But even for Burnham, you know, her, like, really giving of herself emotionally, allowing herself to hear what it was that Tyler went through, I feel like that as a scene, this really helped out both characters. And as so awesomely happens when you're writing a really good script, it also pushes the plot forward as well, as we'll see. In a shuttle bay, Lorca and Stamets uh, talk while uh, looking down on Pavo. Lorca has asked uh, that the Legion of Honor medal be given to Stamets for the sacrifice that he could have made. Stamets humbly tries to pass it off, but Lorca insists. Stamets agrees to one more jump to get the crew home safe, but then makes it clear that it is only... Actually, he, he suggests one more jump. Oh, I guess that's true. So it, it, it seems like Lorca's willing to just warp back normally, and you know, he says, ah, you know, I, I couldn't even ask you, and, and he volunteers. And then repeatedly tells everybody just yes, one more exactly. I wrote, this of course... It's feeling weird. I wrote, uh, this of course is the I'm three days from retirement and get the worst, cape, <laughs> the worst case ever dropped in my lap right. trope. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they're just going home. And, and the whole thing feels to me like... He has seen the, you know, the great beyond. He's seen this new place to go, and I don't want to go home. I want to yeah. go there. So I'm going to take the ship to a place that isn't even real, or you know, doesn't. It's not on any map. Uh, Tyler has another nightmare at this point uh, of his time with Lorel. Flashes of their intimacy. We see some Klingon boobs, and then he wakes up sweating. He makes his way to the prison where uh, Laurel is being held. So, 
what happened here? <laughs> this seems a little weird. I think he's a Manchurian candidate. Yes. I, I kind of wrote, is he a sleeper cell? Like that kind of thing. Like he's, uh-huh. y- yours is a little bit better because I think that he doesn't know that he's right in trouble. But yes, she says soon, very soon. Uh, Hugh and Stamets kiss for good luck and have a moment here where uh, they say that they're going to go see uh, La Boheme, which of course is funny because Anthony Rapp was in Rent, and Rent was of course based on La Boheme. So, that was fun. I also wrote, uh, this is also teasing the fact that Stamets is not going to come out of this okay. Right, oh yeah. I mean, are they messing with us? Are they trying to make it worse? We know it's coming! The spore drump does not go well. Of course, the ship's power starts to blink. Frost begins to grow on the inside of the spore drive. Lorca from the bridge says, talk to me. Lily says, it's an incomplete navigational sequence. Stamets collapses. He says all he can see are stars. All of them. And they are so beautiful. On the bridge, Lorca demands to find out where we are, what's happening, but no one knows. No conventional mapping system is working. And as the camera pulls outside of the ship, we are surrounded by wreckage. Credits! So, by what you were saying earlier, do you think that Stamets brought them here on purpose? Yes. Or, yes? Yeah. Explain that theory to me. So... He's been seeing all kinds of new things. He's been talking about this, you know, traveling through the the network. Yeah. And then Lorca had this other piece, you know, the, that we could see is the difference between the red and the blue map. And I think that additional information, you know, is a thing that, and that's what, what Lorca wanted to do. Right. I'm going to show you this additional information and then you're going to participate in this thing that I want you to do because it's going to pay off for you as well. You're going to be curious about this. And I he, he wants ahead. to go. He's just, he's compelled. Uh-huh. I think it was an accident. Mm-hmm. And it's only based on Tilly's line that she says it was an incomplete navigational sequence. Yeah, but I mean, what would they, how would they interpret going to the parallel universe I think that he didn't get to finish where they meant to go and they just they got dropped off basically uh-huh. in the middle of in the middle of the quote sequence you know that's that's kind of the way I'm seeing it obviously it's fun to speculate but that's sort of my my like he didn't mean to bring us here though we're at uh, the, the, but we are literally stuck in the middle of nowhere I think there was too much Chekhov's gun for this to be an accident. Okay. Well, that's fair. Uh, well, that uh, wraps up the first half season. How are you? Uh, how are you feeling about said season? Oh, it's fantastic. And of course, this is the reason we like Archie Television, right? Right. So you lay out a bunch of interesting stuff throughout the season, or you know, the mm-hmm. first eight eight shows, and. Then we we tie it all up, you know, with a bow here at the end. You know, we we had some significant resolution to the, you know, the admiral was back to safety. Yep. You know, 
everyone is basically transitioning to a new thing. So this relationship between Tyler and Burnham is a, it's a thing now, and now it's got to get over its first kind of obstacle as a relationship is post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. Yep. We've got, you know, Lorca's basically saved his command by either winning this award or, or doing such a good job that they were going to give him the award, even if he says give it to Stamets. In a sense, that makes him even more of a, you know, noble, decent guy. <laughs> right. You know, so everybody kind of gets a, some resolution with a clear forward. You know, there's still stuff to do, but it's a new stuff. It's different stuff. And, I mean, that, that was one action-packed, you know, lots of stuff going on in that episode. So it was fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, and also, too, it's like the Klingons now have no leader because mm-hmm. Cole was basically, you know, running st- running the Empire for a while. So now, now there's a vacancy there as well. So we got more game of Klingons going on. Burnham has now killed two. <laughs> <laughs> that is also true. Of the uh, Klingon leaders. That's amazing. Uh, so here's a question I had for you uh, as uh, the Star Trek lore person. Uh, does this fit into the Star Trek mold? So I'm going to say yes. Okay. With the caveat that our TV is just much more dense today. Fair. Right? So there's nothing here that feels terribly un-Star Trek. But this is not Star Trek the way we've seen it before. Because, you know, we used to have a much slower pace of problems. Where you'd have, like... I mean, I remember in in Next Generation where it was a new thing to have a an A storyline and a B storyline. Yep, absolutely. You know, in which... The main story would be Picard has to meet the aliens and negotiate and so forth. While in the meantime, David is figuring out how to take care of his cat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, all the episodes kind of work this way. And, you know, sometimes the main storyline would be fun and light and, you know, there's going to be a concert and, you know, someone's going to perform and so forth. And then the second one would be you know, they avert some kind of problem with the ship's functioning or something. But that A storyline, B storyline was new because that's not how it worked in the original series. Right. And now we're basically dealing with not just an A storyline and a B storyline, but you could have like three or four A, B, C, D storylines and they're not resolved. Yeah. At the end so, of the episode. Yeah, so in that sense, it feels like it's different. But it's not because the themes have changed or the characterizations have changed or anything like that. It's because we now just put a whole lot more story in our TV. Now, I can't remember what I was listening to where they were talking about this. But uh, they were saying that the Battlestar writers were really the first TV show to do this formula, which was... In every episode, we're going to hit the overreaching arc of the season. We're also going to hit a character and their arc for the season in every episode. And we're also going to have an episode arc as well. There's going to be a storyline in the arc. So it's fun because you can almost do that with this show as well. 
I think like sort of Battlestar set that precedent. You know, because I've, I've been thinking about like when the arcing of storylines, you know, started. Right. And you could theoretically go all the way back to like soaps, you know, mm-hmm. soap operas of the 60s sure. where, or you know, where that serialized movies from the 30s. Yep, serialized movies of the 30s, exactly. Uh, you know, in the 80s, a lot of your shows didn't take a lot of stuff, unless it was a nighttime soap. So you had like your L.A. Laws, your Dynasties, Dallases, right. those things. But, you know, your Hill Street Blues, you know, never arced. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember some other great shows. Love Boat. Uh, right. And so I, you know, I think the reason for this is technical. Because if you have an audience that can't miss an episode, are they going to miss something important? Right. It's it's really hard to do arty television because people will tune out if they feel like, I don't know what's going on anymore. I've yep. missed a couple of episodes. I've only missed two or three episodes this season or this part season, but I feel lost and I don't know what's going on. So screw it. I'm going to go you know do something else with my TV time. Yeah. And you don't want to risk that. And you don't want people complaining about that because you always fear that they won't tune in. And so it's just much easier to give them this. It doesn't matter what order you watch it in. It, you know, right. it's it's very episodic. It's safe. Yep. You don't you don't worry about missing an episode. And then, of course, we get every kind of recording device. So mm-hmm. you can record stuff on your VCR. You can buy a season on DVD. Now we have DVRs where you could record stuff. And now we've gone beyond that. And, and there's kind up. of an on-demand, you know, service. Whether it's a Netflix or in this case a CBS All Access. And I'll just watch yep. them in any order. At any time on any device, yeah. And at this point, it's you can totally say we're going to make a complex series of stories in which you can't miss anything, but it's okay because you can't miss anything. You just tune yeah. into whatever you want to watch. Yeah, exactly. You want to go back and rewatch episode three because you think, oh, you know, I was cooking dinner and maybe I think I missed something because I don't know who this character is or when did that happen. Go, it's perfectly fine. You don't have to wait until. Yeah, I hope they show that episode again this summer. Yeah, exactly. I gotta wa- I gotta read the TV guide to know, you know, if they're gonna rerun this episode every week. Because you know, you used to read the TV guide, and it was the only way to know what was going on. Yep. And we don't when have stuff that. was gonna be on. Yeah, we don't have that problem anymore. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to friends of mine who have like who had this who did the same thing I did. It was like knew when they had to be home because they avoid what was on TV. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's only 7 o'clock because who's the boss is on? Oh, no, Incredible Hulk's on. It's 8 o'clock. I should be getting home, you know, or whatever. Right. All right, well, I want to read, uh, read you uh, something from Gizmodo, and you can tell me if you uh, agree or disagree. So this is uh, most specifically about this episode, but it's also kind of talking about the season in general. The paragraph before basically talks about, uh, you know, what Trek was. You know, you had your... Uh, uh, an important ensemble anchored and mostly driven by the choices of its captain. In Star Trek, captains are perfect. Admirals are interfering busybodies who don't know what they speak of. Uh, Discovery had all the trappings of a Star Trek show, but didn't seem to understand that the tropes were tools and not an unsavory heirloom from an eccentric great ant. The only thing that seemed to operate the same was the technobabble. When it comes to Into the Forest I Go, it suddenly embraced all those things that make Trek Trek that the episode and the episode sang, but it was when it deviated from that was when it was at its worst. 
But mostly this last episode was good. What do you think of that? I think that's silly. <laughs> Fair. I, I don't think that... I think the fact that the episodes were built around the captain was, was an heirloom. So in the first series, in the original series, yeah. you know, the, their conception of what they were doing, it's Horatio Hornblower, you know, it's, uh, it's Captain Cook in the South Seas. You know, naturally you're going to focus on the captain because we know a lot about Captain Cook and Horatio Hornblower, although Hornblower starts off as a lieutenant and works his way up. But for us to, you know, pick some other character, that really would have been an interesting play in the 60s. Maybe a bridge too far in terms of, you know, picking a, a middle-of-the-road guy. If you pick other shows and you focus on, you know, who you're supposed to pick, and when that guy's not the top, it is, in fact, the case that everybody above him is bumbling. Yeah. So you watch the Dick Van Dyke show, and he's merely the head writer on the show. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Mr. Cooley is goofy. The, the Carl Reiner character is in his own way, you know, goofy and silly. Alan Brady. Yeah. So it's the character that we're investing in is the one who's the stable. You know, when Andy Griffith came up with the, the Andy Taylor character, he thought it, it was going to be a funnier character. And it was only after they did a couple of episodes that they realized, or that Critically, Andy Griffith realized yeah. Andy Taylor needs to be the straight man and let Barney Fife be the funny character. And, mm-hmm. of course, they were friends, and they had had a dynamic, and, and for him to be able to realize that, of course, is what made that show. And so focusing you know, on that, that centered character is it's just, I think it's, it's an artifact of 60s television. And so we have we had experiments going back, you know, to to play with that episodes, you know. And remember when they would try to do a an uh, original series episode that didn't focus on on Kirk, or when Kirk didn't go on the away team, there were notes from the studio. Well, where's the captain? Yeah. Why is the captain He's doing this? He's our guy. Yeah. He's our guy. And I think that was a mistake. So even from the beginning, Star Trek was not necessarily all about the captain. It was Mm -hmm. the conventions of television that made it all about the captain. I think Next Generation expands the ensemble. Yeah. Which means less captain. I think a lot of the functions of the captain get divided up amongst more and more characters who get to do interesting things. Mm Mm-hmm. And while they didn't, you know, necessarily break with that, you know, all the way through Enterprise, you know, it didn't feel like, oh, this is critical to being what Star Trek is, that it's, it's we focus on the captain, the captain's our guy. It was, it was a convenient way to write stories. Yeah. You really feel like at any point they could have started to focus, and they did do whole episodes, you know, especially in, in DS9. And Voyager, and then of course in the Enterprise, you do get whole episodes in which the captain is not the center. He's not the one making the decisions. He's still obviously an important character in the show. Yep. But episodes no longer needed to rely on the captain to make them work. And so it it seems like the next step in this evolution of 
you know, how to do a Star Trek show, that you focus on a character who's not the captain. And Lorca's pretty central to this show. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, we do feel like the character that we're supposed to identify with is Michael Burnham, in part because we start with her in the in the two episode, you know, cold open. Cold open. <laughs> I think if we had started, you know, with episode three, I, it'd be very easy to fo- fo- to focus on Lorca as, oh, he's our guy. He's the guy we're supposed to pay attention to. He's the captain. And so efforts had to be made to not make him quite so central because he is important in the show. And as you said, you know, the cold open helped lead to that. Yeah. I think the key thing about Star Trek isn't the structure of who we're supposed to identify with, the importance of the captain. It's more about the themes of the show. It's about things like, what does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to have your identity? You know, what does it mean to take risks? What does it mean to encounter difference and how do you respond to that and this this tv show is all about that kind of stuff which seems to be exactly what tyler is going through right now so thematically it is totally star trek love it just wanted to hear it from you sir that's that's when it becomes real for me (laughs) all right well you got anything else you want to talk about as far as this season goes or as far as this episode is concerned no, I'm uh, I'm pretty good. All right. Well, perfect. Well, that'll wrap up this uh, this half season of Discovery. Like I said, next week we'll be back with the very first crazy episode of the original series. So uh, stay tuned for that, and you know where to find us. iTunes, SoundCloud, we're in all those places. Look us up. Soon to be on YouTube, because I think we're going to just drop them on YouTube so people can listen to them wherever they can find them. And like I said, we'll be back on January 10th for the return of Discovery, which uh, comes back to TV's, well, comes back to wherever you decide to watch these things on uh, January 7th. So tune in. But until then, I'm Matt saying goodbye. And from Houston, is Ken is also saying goodbye. <laughs> Say goodbye, Ken. <laughs> Live long and prosper. you think after all these episodes, I'd have that down. <laughs> and thank you all. We'll see you all next time. <laughs>